Just a little more, 1 Kings 21, just a little more. Today we come to the last in our sermon series, three-week series on the prophet Elijah. Now it's nice when you can have multiple residences, one for the summer and one for the winter and one to vacation at the beach and one for the mountain getaways and one for the Big Apple time. It's nice when you can live that way. I'm not sure how many residences that Ahab, the king of Israel, owned, but at one of his multiple residences is a scene for our third sermon. In this particular story, Elijah moves to the background and Ahab comes to the forefront. Samaria has some pretty high elevation, so it does get sometimes just a bit chilly in the winter. And so Ahab and his Baal-worshipping woman Jezebel were spending just such a cold winter at their seasonal retreat in Jezreel. Ahab peered out his palace and saw the plot of land adjacent to his and began to imagine just how wonderful it would to grow those beets and carrots and squash and zucchini. He had it all planned out, rows of corn and okra, pole beans, might even have a pumpkin patch. Well, Ahab had the garden designed in his mind and the land was already his. Now remember, this is a king who already has absolutely everything. But all he can do is focus his attention, a burning, all-consuming desire for the plot of ground next to his. Kind of the guy says, I don't want to buy all the land all over the world, just the land that's next to mine, and then next to mine, and then next to mine. He finds no joy in anything left in his life. There's no joy in his relationships. There's no joy in his riches. There's no joy in his royalty. All he could do was focus on what he did not have, which was the plot of land next to the palace in Jezreel. There was no for sale sign in the front yard. Didn't matter. He approached Naboth man to man, or should I say king, down the subject. Boy, Naboth, have I got a good deal for you. Translation, boy, Naboth, have I got a good deal for me. Anybody tells you what great deal they have for you, it should send up a signal that it is probably not such a great deal for you. Naboth, you see, I need a vegetable garden. I need to be close to the palace. I'm going to buy your piece of land right next to the royal residence, he says. Now, you have a choice. I'll give you a bigger and better vineyard down the road, or I'll pay you the price of the land. It's up to you. Take your pick. You have your choices. But instead of calculating the cost of his capital gains versus evading taxation by a land-to-land trade, Naboth immediately says, can't do that. Heaven forbid. The scriptures, Moses, they won't allow me to do that. Now Moses had said it because God told him to. 
To sell the land of his forefathers would be to break the law of God. Oh, my king, I'm sorry. But this here, this here is my, my family farm. We've got to keep it in the family. We've got to keep it in the clan. We've got to keep it in the tribe. You remember what Moses said. No, no, neighbor says, no doing. Well, now, Ahab had one of the biggest pity parties to ever be had in Palestine. He is, quote, sullen and vexed. That sounds pretty serious to me in the translation. He is both sullen and vexed because of no deal Naboth. He began to get depressed. He would lay down the couch and look the other way. He wouldn't come for meal time. He was just sitting there pouting, sulking over the fact that he could not have his neighbor, neighbor's plot of land to make his vegetable garden. Couldn't sleep at night. Well, the reality is there's no such thing as material covetousness. All coveting, all wanting what others have is spiritual the material things, the plot of land, the brand new car, the bigger house, the better job are really only symbols of our spiritual weakness of never being content. We desire it, we long for it, we lust after it. Somehow we think if we could just have this one thing, we could forever be happy. Maurice Silverman said, if envy were an illness, then the world's a hospital. If envy were an illness, the world is a hospital. Of course, it's one of the Ten Commandments. You remember that. But we don't take it very seriously like we do the other nine. Don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Yeah, those seem important enough to promote. But has anybody ever preached beside this morning on covetousness? It's the commandment that's completely forgotten. I think sometimes that we think that God needed 10, he came up with nine good ones, and so just to round it out, he came up with something called coveting and asked us not to do it. But it's not the real one. Exodus 20, 17. Do not covet your neighbor's house. There you go, Ahab. Do not covet your neighbor's spouse. You remember those? There was an old Bruce Springsteen song. Some of you are old enough to remember it. Grin if you are. Jesse's girl. Jesse's a friend. Yeah, I know he's been a good friend of mine, but lately something's changed. It ain't hard to define. Jesse's got himself a girl, and I want to make her mine. Yes, I wish that I had Jesse's girl. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's spouse. Don't covet your neighbor's servant. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff, his ox, his donkey. Anything belongs to your neighbor. You keep your eyes on your house and your stuff. In fact, if you think about it, the Bible is a history of people who coveted. That's what we have. Cain coveted Abel's approval before God. 
Jacob coveted Esau's blessing and birthright. David coveted Uriah's wife Bathsheba. And when you think about those examples, you realize that coveting, breaking that commandment, leads us to break another commandment. Cain killed Abel over coveting. Esau wanted to kill Jacob for coveting. David did kill Uriah and commit adultery. And, well, Ahab's going to kill Naboth before her story is finished. Seem now, oh Ahab pouting, refusing to eat, refusing to have a good time. There was a study conducted where a child was placed into a room, a room full of all kind of toys. They're already open and out of the package. It was like an open package toy store. The child, as he's placed in the room, can go play with anything that he wants. There's a racetrack, there's stuffed animals, there's puzzles, there's books, there's everything you can imagine, there's figurines. You play with anything you want to. They put the child in the room for about 30 minutes, let him play with everyone. Then they removed him from the room. They put in a second child. And the second child would go and pick out a toy by himself in the room and play with the toy. And then they would reintroduce the first child into the room. And no matter with which toy the child was playing, playing with before he left, when he entered the room, he always wanted the toy in the hands of the second kid in the room. It might be a toy he paid no attention to at all before. But every child, wants the toy in the other kid's hand. Every man wants the land of his neighbor. It's true. We gauge a lot deal of what we want based upon our perception of what others want. Why, the marketers discovered this magic a long time ago. Do you really want Acme Brick now in your house because Troy Aikman wants Acme Brick on his house? Do you ladies really need to douse yourself with Halle Berry perfume? And if you do, will it make you look like she? I'm not sure. Sad thing is, whether we're two years old or 90, we continually fall for the ploy of covetousness. In fact, the best things in life aren't things at all. Now enter Jezebel, why is my prince pouting? You haven't even touched your taters over here, Ahab. Why am I a little apathetic, Ahab? Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said, give me your vineyard and I'll pay you a fair price. And he's going to follow God's law and not give me the land. And so I'm pouting, he says. Now let me get this straight. Let me have some clarification, the queen says. Nobody, no cell Naboth is telling you, the king of the land, that you can't purchase his property at a fair price. Now remember, Jezebel is from the Phoenician states, city-states. She had been trained in the absolute traditions of the Phoenician people, and the Phoenicians didn't allow you to ever say no to a king. You go ahead and eat your bread. You stop pouting, my little prince. I'll make sure you get your garden. She wrote letters in Ahab's name. She stilled them, sealed them and stamped them with Ahab's stamp. 
They declared a fast, and they seat Naboth at the head of the table. She says, find two worthless men and have them come in during the fast and say, you have cursed both God and the king. In fact, that's what took place. They declare the fast. Naboth is there at the head of the table, and they come in, and people say, you have both cursed God and the king. They take Naboth out, and they stone him for dead. He never saw it coming. And then Jezebel sends word to Ahab, Arise, go get your vegetable garden, go to the vineyard of Naboth, because nobody tells my pouting prince no. So Ahab goes and surveys the land. We are a coveting people like Ahab. Our God is gold, our creed is is greed. We really, therefore, don't have room for the God of Israel. Their heart is so shallow, they try to fill it with things of the world. Jesus was teaching, and a man came up to him and said, Lord, make my brother share his inheritance with me. And Jesus said, who made me the lawyer or arbiter between the two of you? You better be careful because covetousness can overcome your life. King Solomon said the same years before, a heart of peace gives life to the body, but, but envy rots the bones. Somebody always has more than we have, more success, more wealth, more time, more friends. Somebody always has more. How do we protect ourselves from this sense of destruction, from this envious heart that literally leads to rot our souls? How do we get over the grabbing for greed? Well, first of all, we have to acknowledge our problem. Every one of us in this room wants just a little bit more. Like Ahab, we want to grab the ground that's right next door to ours, just a little bit more. Francis Xavier, for whom the Catholic priest, for whom Xavier University is named. For 45 years as a Catholic priest, he heard the confessions of Catholic people. Now, it's okay in the Baptist tradition to confess your sins to a brother or to your pastor, and that's good, but we also teach you can confess them straight to God through Christ your Lord. You don't have to go through me, but in the Catholic tradition, they went through the priest, and you know, they go into the little room, and there's the partition there between the confessor and the priest, and when's the last time you had confession, and what are your sins? And Francis Xavier said, I've heard the confessions of the young. I've heard the confessions of the old. I've heard the confessions of men. I've heard the confessions of women. But in 45 years of confessions, I've heard the confessions of sins in the Bible. I've heard confessions of new sins the Bible didn't even know about. I've heard every sin. But in 45 years, no one has ever sat on the other side of this petition and said, forgive me for I am coveting what my neighbor owns. 45 years, not anyone ever breaking this commandment? First of all, we have to acknowledge that we have Ahab's problem. Secondly, we have to check our self-esteem. Psychology Today surveyed 25,000 people and discovered that envy is rooted in a low self-esteem. 
We assume that the Joneses have more than us because that must mean they're more worthy than us. And so we need to get more so we can feel worthy and good about ourselves. And so we buy more than we can pay for to impress ourselves and everyone around us. You write this proverb down. Comparison is a thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of your joy. There's a third thing. You need to evaluate your values. Do your treasures belong this morning in the wrong chest? For where your heart is, there your treasures will likewise be, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Money can buy you a bed, but money cannot buy you sleep. Money can buy you books, but money will never make you knowledgeable. Money can buy you food, but it cannot create a healthy appetite. Money can buy you cosmetics, but can't really buy you beauty. Money can buy a house, a really big one, but cannot make a house a home. Money can buy you medicine, but it cannot purchase health for you. Money can buy you amusement, but money can never bring you real joy. Money can buy you a crucifix, but it cannot buy you a savior. And money can buy you a pew in the church house, but it cannot buy you a place in the kingdom of God. Evaluate your values. Fourth, to get a perspective. You've longed and longed and longed for whatever it is. And once you get the very thing that you long to acquire, the promise to bring you all the happiness leaves you empty all over again after a momentary thrill. How long has it been since you've been to a preschool birthday party, a little girl's party. I had three girls and two more little preschool girls now. We'll go to lots of girls' preschool birthday parties. Inevitably, amongst the presents, someone has the queen package. It's the plastic crown with all the jewels and the bracelets and the necklaces. And why she just squeals when she opens up that package. And you sit back kind of smugly as an adult and think, well, look at all that little gaudy glitter and that little fake gold. And why it's really nothing you know, but it makes her so happy and she's not got a very good system of values and and God looks at you like you're a preschool at her birthday party and he thinks you have a terrible value system and he thinks the things that you prize are fake and not real get a good perspective fifth and finally practice thankfulness practice thankfulness don't get wrapped up in what you don't have Rejoice of what God has already given to you. How many royal residences did Ahab have over which he could have rejoiced, but all he could do is think about what he did not have. He was not thankful. Practice gratitude, contentment. Well, all of a sudden, Elijah, our prophet, shows up on the scene in chapter 21. And God says through Elijah, have you murdered Ahab and have you taken possession? Oh, you found me, oh, enemy of mine, he says. Then the prophet says to him, look at verse 19. In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, the dog shall lick your blood, even yours. You have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. 
Elijah pounces on Ahab again and says, you have murdered and you've taken possession. And well, right where the dogs licked Naboth's blood, those same dogs will lick your blood. Fast forward, you remember he's struck by a stray, divinely guided arrow. And when they hose out the chariot from Ahab's blood, they tell us the grisly story that the dogs come and fulfill the prophet Elijah and lick up his blood. And even Jezebel, the dogs consume her body that nothing is left but palms and feet. Second, first Kings 22, 38. The story of Elijah ends with surprise. Elijah doesn't even die as men die, but rather a chariot of fire driven by a chariot of horses arrives. And this time God is in the fire again. His end points to the hope of life beyond this life. Life eternal, Elijah has. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Those two hopes are wedded together and the prophet Elijah that the word of God is to be obeyed and stands forever. And there is forever life for those who are God's people. Maybe that's why the prophet Malachi tells us before the Messiah could come, one like the prophet Elijah had to come one who had seen the lightning of God on Mount Carmel, and one who had waited for the crushed silence on Mount Horeb. Only one like that could prepare us for the way of Jesus, the one who came partly revealed and partly concealed in human flesh, God's own Son. One who came to show God's face by the means of the terrible cross, the power of the empty tomb, to open up heaven's door to receive us all. Just a little more. Are your priorities in the right place? Are you content? Do you have gratitude? Do you lust and long for the things of your neighbor? Let us pray. Oh God, the problem with this terrible story is that we're Ahab. We're not Naboth. We're not even Jezebel. We are Ahab. We're not the prophet Elijah pouncing and proclaiming the word of God from me to all the people. We are Ahab. We want just a little bit more. A little bit more than you've blessed us with. We want what our neighbor has. We're never content. We always compare ourselves to the one who has more and never to the one who has less. And if she has it, I want it. If he has it, I'll kill to get it. And all of a sudden we find we're the horrible pagan king, Ahab. Oh God, we do thank you for Elijah. We thank you that he proclaimed the way of the Lord, that he comes in the person of John the baptizer and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And yes, the sin that none of us won't admit, the sin of coveting. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.